I love that song. You know, any day at church where we're playing a U2 song, that's a good day at church, right? I'd say so. So uh, welcome again, and here we are in the second in this week on Beautiful Outlaw. And I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to kind of go back into the recesses of your past, into your memories, and ask yourself the question, when did I feel most like an outsider? So think about that for just a second. Uh, maybe it was when, you know, you were a, a college freshman, you know, and everybody knew what they were doing but you. You know, upperclassmen are running around, they know the classes and they know the drill, and, and you're just lost. Maybe um, it was when you tried out for that sport and you didn't make the team. You tried out for the cheer squad, didn't make it. You tried out for marching band, whatever it was. You desperately, there was an inner circle, you desperately wanted to be in it, and you didn't make it. You felt like an outsider. Uh, maybe it was when you wanted to be accepted into your older brother's circle of friends. Do you remember that? Well, if you're the oldest sibling, you don't because you're evil. <laughs> but uh, if you're like me, middle child or younger, you, something, you desperately wanted to be in that group and not what you got, maybe at best you got ignored or worse. Maybe it was that time that you were single and you were surrounded by all the married people. Maybe, maybe it was the time you were at church. Ironically, you were there surrounded by Jesus people and it was the time you felt most like an outsider. You know, if you read through the Gospels, what's amazing about this is you notice a very striking pattern that the more of an outsider that a person was, the more at ease they felt around Jesus. Well, that's kind of amazing when you think about it. You could just go through all four Gospels, people like a racial outsider with loose morals and a woman to boot and she just felt warmly embraced a military officer from a hated occupying army uh, uh, several despised tax collectors we'll talk about them more a little later in the talk today uh, a recent hostess for seven demons lepers who nobody else would touch and all these people felt warmly embraced by jesus all of them outsiders all of them just seemed to flock to jesus now in contrast you probably know this jesus got a chilly response from the insiders and don't think it hasn't fallen on you know you know i have not become aware of the idea that some of those were the religious professionals people in my camp people who do what i do oh yeah the pharisees the sadducees they were chilled by jesus so the politicians as well people who were interested in maintaining the domestic tranquility they were not so hot on jesus a rich young professional walked away from an interaction with Jesus just shaking his head oh yeah there was one Pharisee Nicodemus who seemed to have a very positive interaction with Jesus but he had to come to him under the cover of night so that his reputation wouldn't be besmirched AC3 in this way Jesus was a total outlaw why because he breaks the mold he breaks that stereotype of the religious autocrat who has no time for regular Joes and we have that in mind, don't we? We think about that, that religious professional who only has time for building his brand. Uh, can't be uh, touched with the, with the peons, the regular people. People are deeply interested, as it seems to you, in only maintaining a reputation. Like that's the number one concern. But isn't that how many of us see Jesus? I mean, I don't know for what reason, maybe because of a cultural person, uh, or impression that was made on you, or because of your experience in church surrounded by Jesus people. You saw Jesus, he's just 100% business all the time. 
or he's like 100% correction and condemnation. He's 100% like aloofness and standoffishness. He's distant and, well, he's a jerk. I mean, we won't say that. No one says that, but we think it, right? I mean, in Jesus' case, that's the impression. If a, if a regular guy was like the way we imagine Jesus, we'd call that person a jerk. I mean, Jesus can get away. I mean, he's the son of God. I guess he can be a jerk. But that's the impression that many of us have. Well, when they say that you can tell a lot about someone uh, by the company that they keep, we find that that's absolutely true in the life of Jesus. So let's look at that, shall we? Let's look at three different parties that Jesus was a part of. We see the company that he kept, and we can learn so much about the character of Jesus, and we'll see that he was not a jerk. Rather, he was a beautiful outlaw, an inviter of outsiders. Let's look at this. Number one, the first party is from a guy named Simon, who was a Pharisee. You say, wait a minute, I thought Simon was a, was a disciple. Well, yeah, Simon was a very popular name in first century Palestine. We found that out. So lots of Simons. This Simon happened to be a religious professional. He was a Pharisee. So we pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn here. I've also um, brought the verses on the side screen. The Bible says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. Now, every time I've read this story, I know people in our context are a little blown away because it seems super weird. They say, I must be missing something in translation. Is that something that they did back then? No. No, it's not something that they did. I mean, they reclined at tables, and Jesus would have been reclining on his elbow, his feet stretched out behind him. That's how she could manage to uh, hover over his feet in this way. And, but it was weird. It was weird for them as it was for us. And as you imagine yourself sitting there observing this, right, that would seem like a very intimate encounter, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just seem like, eh, like uh, this is like a private moment that you've invaded by just observing it. It's very, very intimate, very audacious if you think about it. I mean, look, listen, all we know about this woman is that she's a sinner. So, you know, church scholars have often assumed that her moral uh, issues had to do with her sexual life so there we are a woman with a a woman of ill repute a woman with a bad reputation and she's just kind of crashed a party all these things make this whole encounter very weird and uncomfortable and audacious and what does that tell us about the woman that tells you that she has completely lost her ability to care what people think about her she has been profoundly affected by jesus and she's going to show it and she doesn't care who sees. Well, what's amazing is Jesus never had that ability to begin with, that ability to care what people think about him. Here's the thing, friends, is that if you always do what's right, you don't have to care what people think about you. And that was Jesus. He didn't care what people thought about him. But isn't that the world that we live in? It is. The world where we pay slavish adherence to what people think. The fear of what people think of us often rules us, friends. It makes us into a jerk. The jerky things that we do are often driven by the approval or non-approval of the people around us. 
And being well thought of by the good people is such a powerful influence, and maybe especially by the religious leaders among us. And of course, I speak of myself included. That, that, that motivation, that power is oppressive to us. The need to appear respectable, respectable is overwhelming. So here's Simon, and he's one of the religious uh, leaders. He's a religious professional. And what does, what's his response? He recoils. He sees the sight, this woman of ill repute. She's crying. She's anointing. She's wiping with her hair. And he just is like, ah. And we, we get a picture inside of what he's actually thinking. The Bible says that Simon says to himself, if this guy knew, I mean, if he was a real prophet of God, he would know that the woman anointing him right now is a whore. He would know if he was for real. And to this, Jesus gives a reply to Simon, which explains why he's such a beautiful outlaw. And if you get this, you get Christianity. And if you won't get this, then you won't understand our faith. Luke chapter 7, 44. Do you see this woman? So he tells him a little parable and then he points to her and says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven. And that's why she's loved much. But the one who's been forgiven little loves little. Now, friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell. You understand? What he's saying is, Simon, listen. This woman has become aware, maybe through the condemnation of others or her own uh, self-assessment, that she has a moral debt with God. And I tell you that she has come to the right place to have her slate wiped clean, and it will be wiped clean. And you can see the evidence that it has been wiped clean. How do I know? Because of the gratitude response. It's pouring out of her, Simon. She loves lavishly because she's been lavishly loved. You, on the other hand, my friend, you, on the other hand, have not become aware of your moral debt. You think you need no grace. Therefore, you show no grace. I mean, what does that tell you about the character of Jesus? What a beautiful outlaw. Party number two. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So these last two parties will both take place in the homes of tax collectors. And you've heard that tax collectors are sort of a despised group in the New Testament world, you've wondered maybe why. Well, you need to understand that the Romans had a sort of flat tax system. Uh, you pay your taxes or they flatten you. So, so tax collectors were like Jewish agents, deputized, contracted by the Roman government, and, and therefore they had authority. They had leverage uh, to extort if they so chose. And guess what? They so chose. As a class, they would choose to extort money from the locals. So they're Jewish but they're collaborating with Romans to get the taxation thing done. You can understand this sets them up to be ostracized. This sets them up to be, as a class, despised traitors. So when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, people are absolutely indignant, and this starts the pattern in all three of the parties we're going to talk about. Luke chapter 19, verse 7. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But understand something, Zacchaeus is moved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. 
He's moved by the fact that here he is, despised by his peers, loved in this moment by God, and he turns to God with total abandon. And Jesus, what does he say about those passers-by? Those people, the respectable types. He says, Luke chapter 19, verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now what's so amazing about this, friend, is how indiscriminate it shows that Jesus' welcoming power is. It's just so indiscriminate, his grace. It's so egalitarian in one sense. Listen, understand something, right? Zacchaeus is part of the 1%, right? Zacchaeus is part of the 1%. He's a collaborator with the enemy and everybody hates a traitor. And you feel justified in hating a traitor. And you feel justified in hating the rich because surely they only got rich on the backs of the poor. Well, Zacchaeus had. And they're irredeemable, those people. Well, today, let's be honest. Let's just bring this right up into the moment. Amidst all the talk today about compassion and tolerance and helping the oppressed, there are people that it is permissible in our culture to hate. There just is. There's a list and a growing list in our time, and we just feel okay with it. Grace to all the outsiders. Oh, but not for you, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, no, you're a monster. And Bill Cosby? I mean, think about it. There are people in our day that are okay to hate, and maybe they're on your list to hate. And let's just get more personal. There's somebody in your life that you feel is irredeemable. They have put themselves on the outside and they are irredeemable and it's okay to hate them. Will you say, well, but Zacchaeus, he repented and, and these other notorious sinners, including that person who's really wounded me, they never have. You know, that person I despise. Maybe so, maybe so. But in Jesus' economy, you need to understand something. In welcoming Zacchaeus, a guy like that, what he shows is how indiscriminate is the pursuing love of God. God's after everyone. God is seeking all the lost, not just some of the lost. He's seeking everybody. Later, one of his apostles, Peter, will will write in one of the letters tucked away in the back of your, your New Testament this amazing line, God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to a knowledge of the truth and eternal life. That's God's heart. That's how God thinks about this thing. That's how radically inclusive is his grace that it will extend to everyone, the rich and the poor, the Gentile and the Jew, the slave and the free, the man and even the women. No, seriously, this was a massive shock. John chapter four, the disciples came upon Jesus And the Bible says, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. I mean, friends, this is a beautiful outlaw. He's breaking all the rules to welcome the outsider in. Third party, with a guy named Matthew, and Matthew is another tax collector, changed miraculously by his interaction with Jesus Christ. But he hasn't been a Christian long enough. He hasn't been a Christ follower long enough to kind of know the rules, right? And the religious insiders kind of get some rules, which is, you know, we we don't hang with outsiders. That's one of the rules. And I love this in our own context. When someone is freshly won into life in Jesus, they don't have the rules sometimes. And so they just are all excited. All right, I'm a disciple. Let's do the things Jesus did, the radical, crazy things that Jesus did. And whoa, 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 whoa. We do some of the things Jesus did. 
we don't do all the things, you know. And then there's a list, a whole list of things Jesus did. You know, the insiders know we don't do that because that's like too hard or too crazy or too wild or too radical. I just love that there's a, there's a naivete, there's an innocence, and, and Matthew shows this, right? He's, he's just been won by the grace of God, and so he says, what are we going to do? I know. I got a bunch of buddies who need to have the same grace be poured into their life. I hang with the outsiders, understand? I'm in that group. That, those are my people. So he calls a party and calls all of his friends to join him with the party and says, Jesus, will you show up at my party? And just wonders what'll happen. And he's just, he's just excited about the life change that could happen. And you understand how beautifully organic this is. He's just a beggar who's found bread and he's inviting other beggars into the kitchen. That's it. It's, it doesn't get more complicated than that. And now we get to the pattern, AC3. Because what do you think is going to be the reaction of the passers-by who see Jesus attending Matthew's party? Luke chapter 5, verse 30. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, doesn't he know that if you hang with pigs, you're going to get muddy? Like, doesn't he get that? I mean, doesn't he understand that he's, he's going to degrade himself here? What's Jesus say to this? Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying, you tell me, what good does it do to have the medicine be locked up in the medicine cabinet? No, it's got to come in contact with the problem in order to do any good. So AC3, there you go. You can tell a lot about someone by the company that they keep. And there we go. We've got three parties that Jesus attended. And what do we learn? Well, at each of these parties, we see a caste system that makes it perfectly clear who's in and who's out, as in outcast, right? And in each party, you have the shock and the horror of the insiders to what Jesus is doing. And in each party, here's what Jesus is saying to those insiders. You don't get it. See, you assume that I'm into a degradation kind of thing, but I'm into a reclamation kind of thing. That's really what he's saying. Oh, you assume by the company that I keep that I'm into degrading myself. I'm not into degrading myself. I'm into restoring lost things. This is the opposite of being a jerk. This is humble and winsome and radical and egalitarian and beautiful AC3. Now, there's two kinds of people that you know in this world. There are people who shop for only the best and they only buy from the top shelf. And there are other people who are into fixer-uppers. The second kind of people shun buying new homes or new cars. Give me a restoration project, they kind of say. Something I can pour my love and my affection into. They look at cars and homes like lost puppies needing a caring owner. Well, one of my friends kind of fell on both sides of this. I remember a while back, he bought a brand new sports car and he held it for some time in its class and for its year, it was one of the best. All the bells and whistles, he tricked it out. Beautiful. Then he sold it and he bought a 68 Buick. 68 stands for how many feet long it was. And uh, this old car, man, I tell you, it needed some TLC. A little lost puppy that needed a home. Or maybe like a, a St. Bernard or something like that. It was enormous. 
land yacht. But some people could have said, what a step down. He's slumming it with a rusty antique. He's one step away from the junk pile. If someone had said that, here's what my friend would have likely said. He would have said, you don't get it. I'm not into degrading the the degradation business. I'm into the restoration business. You don't get it. I'm not degrading myself by who I'm hanging by what I'm hanging around with. I'm into restoring things. Now, I've just described three Jesus parties. And by the way, there's more. There's at least a half dozen strewn all throughout the gospels where people are Jesus interacting socially. And at these parties, the pattern is all the same. People, the insiders, label. They so, show shock. They show disgust. They scramble for status. They recoil. They shun. But in each party, the beautiful outlaw shows up and blows away the caste system. Just annihilates it. This is what makes him an outlaw. He just blows it away. And what was Jesus saying by hanging with the outsiders? He was saying, listen, you don't need to get cleaned up to take a bath. You don't need to get cleaned up to take a bath. You don't have to work your way to acceptability to get in God's good graces. No, it's exactly the opposite. It's God's good grace that makes you acceptable. You don't have to work your way into acceptability to earn God's good grace. It's God's grace that makes you acceptable. And that's what's being said on every other page. To get acceptable to God, you don't have to do the special pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You don't have to offer the special sacrifice in the temple, undergo a purification, right? Or be in the right place, or be the right gender, or be the right race. To get acceptable, you have to be forgiven. And that's it. And that's what he says over and over and over again. That seems to be the point. He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Woman, no one condemns you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, your faith has healed you. You understand, on every other page, this is what he's saying. Apparently, the only thing that matters is God's amazing capacity to forgive. And whether we will receive it or not, that's it. So he's ushering in a radical new era of grace if we'll just understand it now i submit to you that some of us will not like that because if you've hitched your wagon to jesus it might be upsetting for you to see him be this radically inclusive i'll give you an illustration i was friends with a really popular guy in junior high and basically, that's the first time I'd ever been friends with a popular person. So, hey, I made it. It only took me, you know, the 12 or 13 years, whatever it was. But now there was an inner circle, and I was in it. Ah, this was great. I was friends with a popular guy, and I was in the gang. You know, I was in. But my ringleader was a special cat. He was always surprising us with the new guy that he would kind of invite to hang around with us at recess time. So one day, I remember, it's Raymond. He's hanging with Raymond. I go, Raymond? Raymond was a bit of a dopey guy and he was obsessed with buying a go-kart and he had a lisp. It's like, Raymond's not cool. Like, why is he part of the gang? I don't get it. And another day it was Larry and Larry was a school bully. Now we have to like this guy? And another day it was this quiet guitar nerd named Mark and I was like, it's very unsettling for those of us who are in the group. It's like, because what's the point of being on the inside if everyone can get in? right? That's the whole point of having a click. Is that some people aren't in it. That's the whole point. 
And so he's blowing away the very reason for having a clique. This is exactly what's happening to the disciples. I submit to you that they're not exactly thrilled that Jesus is a radical inviter of the outsider. They've attached themselves to Jesus, right? They've hitched their wagon to a rising star. They're in the inner circle. But here's the thing. Jesus keeps on bringing other people into the circle. Mark chapter 9. Hey, Jesus, these guys are driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop them, you know, because they're not part of our gang. Don't try, what are you doing? Don't try to stop them. If they're not against us, they're for us. You understand? Luke chapter 9. Hey, Jesus, those Samaritans, they, they, they didn't give us any hospitality. So uh, should we call fire down from heaven on them in the love of God? <sighs> no. Matthew chapter 15. Hey, Jesus, this woman keeps begging for healing, but you know, she's a Gentile. She's an outsider, one of the dogs. You get it, right? but her faith is great, and I'm gonna heal her. Matthew 18, hey Jesus, these parents keep bringing these kids to be blessed, and it's getting in the way of the really important stuff we're doing. Do not stop the children from coming to me. They are prototypes of kingdom citizens. Do you see, on every other page, the disciples aren't exactly happy that Jesus isn't a jerk. They'd kind of like him to be a bit jerkier. And the funny thing about being a disciple of Jesus, you'd think it would come with all sorts of perks, you know, come with a membership card, with a list of privileges, a feeling of pride of being on the inside, right? But you add it up, and these guys are criticized by Jesus almost as much as the Pharisees. Why? Because at root, we're all the same. Pharisee, Sadducee, disciple, leper, prostitute, tax collector, we're all the same. We all want to prop up our sagging and broken egos by pretending that we have an inside track to God based on an external, and you name it, whatever it is, our looks, our money, our lack of money, our right-wing politics, our left-wing politics, our social circle, our spiritual discipline. If there's one verse from Paul's letters that it just exemplifies this idea of Jesus being an inviter of the outsider and this radical inclusivity, it's this. It's from Romans chapter 11, verse 32. Brother Paul says, in one way or another, this is the message translation, in one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside so that he can personally open the door and welcome us back in. And in story after story after story, he's driving it home. Luke chapter 18, there's a parable. Two guys go to church. One of them says, I thank you, God, I'm an insider. You didn't make me a woman. You didn't make me poor. You didn't make me a Gentile. Thank you. And there's another guy who comes in, the despised tax collector, and he beats his breast and says, Kiri Eleison. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which of these two people goes home right with God? That's the end of the story, and you're supposed to get it. You understand? This is a story about grace. Matthew chapter 20, another story. Bunch of workers, they're hired at different times in the day. At the end of the day, settle up accounts. They all get paid the same. And it's a beautiful and generous wage. But the guys who are hired at the beginning say, hey, not fair. And the master says, what's your problem? Are you, are you mad because I'm so generous? And what's that story about? Grace, the last shall be first. 
Luke chapter 15, another story. There's 99 sheep and one of them goes off and gets itself lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes on an all-out search for the precious lamb that was lost, puts it on his shoulders when found, and comes home rejoicing. What's that story about? The story's about grace. That God is seeking out even the people who have rejected him and gotten themselves lost. Friend, look, Jesus isn't a jerk because he's no respecter of persons. He levels the playing field. He is generous and free with God's love. And I don't know what Jesus you believe in, the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, brings a grace revolution that is nothing but sweet music to the ears of all outsiders. And Allen Creek, you need to get to know this Jesus, this beautiful outlaw, and you need to be scandalized by him again. You just need to get ready, your heart, to be blown away by the outlaw. I mean, he breaks all our old measuring sticks we use to know who's in and who's out with God. He seems to turn our moral world upside down, telling us that our outside and our past and our social caste, none of it matters. All that seems to matter in Jesus' parties and in Jesus' stories appears to be God's unlimited capacity to forgive. That seems to be the only thing that matters. Can that be right? That seems illegal, doesn't it? Seems like outlaw behavior to me. And oh friend, it is right. That is precisely right. And if you aren't scandalized by that at some level, you haven't understood it. Christianity is a shocking yet wonderful twist. No matter how may it grate against your sense of justice by inviting the outsiders in, Jesus is saying that with God there is no undesirables and if God sees it that way, neither should we. By inviting outsiders, Jesus was graphically demonstrating that God loves the lost and the helpless, the divorced and the abusers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the hurtful and the greedy and the bankrupt. Everybody Oh, the radical humility of God that he would take us on these terms. It's scandalous. And you know what? I think, frankly, some people would prefer that Jesus was more of a jerk, as I said. Because then they could justify their own insider-outsider benchmark the way they look at the world. Such people are too proud to take on the humble Jesus as their master. They're too proud for grace. They're too proud to be like Jesus, the inviter of the outside. So I want to say things to two different audiences today. Number one, I don't know who you are or what you may have done or what made you feel like an outsider in church before today. Maybe it was a past church experience where you were prejudged based on appearance or behavior or a specific sin. Friend, from now on, only you can make you continue to feel like an outsider because today I've declared it based on the authority of Jesus Christ, his example and teaching, that you are not an outsider, that you have been invited in. I mean, this is just what Jesus did. And so there are no outsiders with Jesus, and so there will be no outsiders at this church. Now listen, let's face it. Some people put themselves in the outsider camp. No one's put them there. They walk in with a scarlet letter, and they carry their outsider status with them, and the church doesn't do that to them. They've done it to themselves. And the shame that they've carried, and they carry it forward with them, and sometimes they feel, everybody's judged me. But really, they've judged themselves as unworthy of the love of God. Friend, listen, you too can be enveloped into the grace of God. And so find your place. There's an open chair at the table. Will you join the banquet?
Listen, you've got to find yourself in the community. You know, community doesn't find you. You know, you find it. You, you, go, you go and say, I, you know, I'm, I'm part of this. And, and so you make an effort to find a group because one won't find you. You live this piece out. Now to the other uh, audience uh, here this morning, there's some here today who are maybe still living in an old caste system. You wouldn't call it that, but really if you are honest with yourself, there is a thin, underneath a thin layer of um, openness, there's a deep judgmentalism in you. And um, you're not seeing the world the way Jesus saw the world. Still pointing a bony finger at people who are less than in some way. You justify your aloofness out of some sense of maybe you want to remain uh, pure. You know, you're like Simon. You know, you wonder if, if Jesus sees all the sin in his church. And maybe just like that interchange with Simon, Jesus might say, but friend, there is some sin I see in you. There's some sin I see in you. And it's not, and it's the sin of not being an inviter of the outsider. That's the sin in you. You say, well, you know, I, it's, surely that's a small, what, what, if that's, what if that's a great sin when it comes to the example and command of Jesus of not being a friend of sinners? Guess what? If you've never been accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, and I mean that in some sense metaphorically, if you've never had your, your reputation besmirched because of who you were willing to hang around with, because of the radically inclusive choices you made to extend the grace of God, then in what way are you following the friend of sinners? In what way are you following the one who was called a glutton and a drunkard? And so what if, friend, what if the fact that you would deign to get close enough to a compromised person out of a concern that your reputation would be compromised? What if that is the real problem? What if that attitude wasn't keeping you from sin? What if that attitude was sin? I mean, I just challenge us with that today. So I remind you, Christian, based on the example of the beautiful outlaw, of the marching orders that you live under if you love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, And this comes straight from the Apostle Paul, again, from Romans chapter 12, where he says to all of us, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Let me pray for you. God, may a blessing fall on this church that we might become more like Jesus than we've ever been before. And in so doing, be like the radical outlaw, break those unwritten rules about who is eligible for the grace of God and who's not. You know, God, would you crash and smash the judgmentalism in us as we realize that we're the ones who carry sin, that you bound us all over to be outsiders so that you might have mercy on us all. So if we can look at ourselves that way, Lord, may we just be radical dispensers of grace because we've radically received grace and there we would be those people who pour our affection at the feet of Jesus and so become his instruments in a lost and broken world extending your invitation to every outsider whom you love in Jesus name I pray amen